0: In her famous diary, Anne Frank, the Jewish girl who died in the Bergen-Belsen Nazi concentration camp, she once quoted her father, Otto, in one of her journal entries, and she wrote this, parents can only give their children good advice and put them on the right path, but the final forming of their character lies in their own hands. Now, thankfully, as as Christians, we understand that God mercifully intervenes when and how He chooses to rescue sinners like us who have already formed an unrighteous character. But I think this quote from Otto Frank and Frank's father, I think it helpfully illustrates the kind of hopeful desperation that parents feel for their children's right living. If you are a parent or if you are a godparent or an uncle or an aunt, don't you deeply desire that the kids in your purview would blossom into God-fearing, God-worshipping men and women? As the Apostle Paul Awaits trial under house arrest in Rome, and as he writes this letter to the men and women in Philippi, whom he brought to the Christian faith, we can almost hear in the words that he writes a sort of fatherly desperation. Last week in Philippians one verses twenty seven through thirty, Paul urged his Philippian children of the faith. He he urged them to endure internal conflicts as a unified church so that they might engage external uh, conflicts together as believers in an unbelieving city. And this morning in chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, Paul continues this theme, urging the Philippian Christians toward unity in their local congregation. And understandably so, because if we were to read through the end of the book of Philippians, we learn in chapters 2, 3, and 4, there's a lot of grumbling and disputing going on amongst the church right now, as Paul writes this. There's some erroneous teaching making its way through the church. In fact, there is a particularly divisive argument occurring between two women we'll see in chapter 4, Euodia and Syntyche. It's dividing the church and... All of these divisive things are happening at the very same time that Christian persecution is ramping up in Philippi. So I think we can understand Paul's urgency in writing to them in Philippians 2 verses 1-4, through our passage this morning. Why unity is possible, how unity is pursued, and what unity produces. If you haven't already, I'd invite you to open your Bibles, Philippians chapter 2, and follow along as I read verses 1 through 4. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. of others. We'll stop there this morning. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Father, indeed, this is your inspired word. And by your enlightening power, O Holy Spirit, we would ask that you would conform us to this word. Convict us Lead us to repentance and forgiveness and life change, God. Sanctify us with this passage that we might today look more like Christ. That is the end goal. And that's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Growing up, I played hockey. Most of you know that. My teams were usually comprised of 15 to 20 players. And between me and my teammates, it was always this way. We each had our own understanding of the game. We each had our own style of playing the game. We each had our own process for preparing for the game. And we each had our own strategy for how to to win the game. Point being is, if my coach had left us to ourselves... We would have punched each other out and walked away and completely disbanded as a team because we couldn't get on the same page but my coach none of my coaches ever did that and neither does the Apostle Paul in the passage we've just read in fact to uh, a church that is threatened with disunity he writes number one why unity is possible this is the outline we're gonna be in for the rest of our time number one why unity is possible Number two, how unity is pursued. And number three, what unity produces. That's what we're going to look at for the remainder of our time. Let's look at number one, why unity is possible. In verses one and two, Paul begins with a series of if statements. I-F, if there is any encouragement in Christ. If there is any comfort from love. If there is any participation in the Spirit. And if there is any affection and sympathy. At first glance, we might read these statements as statements of possibility. After all, the word if is a word of possibility. If. But in reality... We need to understand these statements as statements of certainty. And I'll show you what I mean by that. Imagine with me that you're all sitting together in a candy store, right? That's a fun thing to imagine. And I yell in through the front door to all of you who are sitting in the candy store, if there is anything sweet in that room in there, go ahead and knock yourselves out. You see what I'm saying? (laughs) Obviously... There is something sweet for y'all to eat. You're sitting in a candy store. And that's how we should understand Paul's rhetoric here in verse 1. In fact, we might even just read verse 1 like this. Because of the encouragement of your belonging to Christ together. Because of the comfort you have from God's love. And because you share the same Holy Spirit in affection and sympathy. Because of those things church and on the basis of those things paul continues in verse 2 what's he say complete my joy by what by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind if we were to summarize what paul's getting at in verse 2 it's this be unified be unified church and not because you share the exact same theological understanding of creationism and soteriology and eschatology and ecclesiology, and not because you're on the exact same page regarding how Jews and Gentiles should act. We're going to see that in chapter 3. Or how the church should best evangelize or how the church should best steward its finances. No, 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 no. Be unified, and here's why. Back to verse 1. Because of the sheer encouragement that together... You belong to Christ. That's why you should be unified. Reason number one that he gives. None of y'all are your own. None of y'all deserve to be God's children. And yet, each one of you in Christ has been bought, sought, and brought into God's unshakable kingdom family by repentant faith in Christ's atoning life, death, and resurrection. Paul's point. That there is enough To be unified through thick and thin. One author says, look, unity doesn't mean sameness. It means oneness of purpose. Be unified, local church in Philippi. Second part of verse 1 because of the sheer comfort that together you are partakers of God's love. We are His and He is ours. We love Him because He first loved us, and oh, how He loves us! He really does. Be unified. Church of Philippi, third part of verse one, because of the marvelous fact that you are all indwelled by the same Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit. Paul expounds upon this unifying truth in Ephesians 1.13. He says, he explains to the Ephesian church, look, when you each heard the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Christ, do you know what happened? You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the eternal inheritance inheritance that is yours to the praise of God's glory. Talk about an assurance of grace passage. Why do you have the Holy Spirit? Because you've been sealed and it's a guarantee of what's coming. This is what makes unifying affection and sympathy amongst us even possible. I mean, I'm not trying to be too sarcastic. Look around the room. I mean, we are, this room is full of broken, stubborn, limited, and limping believers. And I'm leading the pack, I get it. The Philippians were like this, so are we. But in verse 1, Paul tells us why the unity that's described in verse 2 is even possible. And now in verse 3, he's going to show us how to pursue unity together. Number 2, how unity is pursued. Verse 3 always flattens me. Are you ready? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit in other words do nothing in an effort to push your way to the front and try to impress others but in humility in humility count others more significant than yourselves in other words, practice putting yourselves aside for long enough that you can begin to regard others as more important. What a, what a miracle that would be, Lord, if I could only do that. And a miracle indeed. This is how unity is pursued. Look, if we want to enjoy unity In our marriages and in our community groups and even our local church here, we don't even realize, I think, the giant step forward that we take toward righteous unity when we simply come before the Lord and ask Him, Oh, Lord, would you please do the miracle of humbling my heart so much that I can count others as more significant than myself? Look, if you can remember back to the Garden of Eden, Satan duped Adam into thinking that the world revolved around him. As Adam ate the forbidden fruit, who was on Adam's mind? Was it Eve? Was it God? It was himself. I'm doing this for my glory, my equality with God, for my wisdom, for all the promises that are going to come true for me right singing about himself and then if we remember the rest of genesis chapter 3 with adam's pride-filled fall what came immediately afterward it was disunity between he and his wife and he and god he looks at eve she looks at him they blame each other for eating the fruit then adam says well god you gave me this woman immediate disunity disunity immediate fracture relational chaos now if you're like me and if verse 3 hits you square between the eyes like it does every time i read it because you have a hard time thinking of anyone more than you do yourself i'm not saying that's me that's probably you (laughs) no 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 no. i am obsessed with thinking about myself And if we can relate in this, you want to know, it's because we really take after our first father, Adam, in the garden. The apple hasn't fallen far from the tree. And yet, and yet, as Paul reminds us, Look, verses 5 through 11, that's not our passage today. We're going to get to that next week. But if we can just peek into verses 5 through 11, it's in Paul's logical flow here. When Christ Jesus, Son of God, came into the world. Look, if there was anyone whom the world truly revolved around, it was Jesus. And yet, when he came into the world... He came and walked among us as though the world does not revolve around him. He came as the reversal of our low estate. He came actually humbly by putting himself aside. He came regarding others as more important. God the Son did this, Mark 10:45, for even the Son of man did not come to be served, but to serve to give his life as a ransom for many. God the Son, who was owed all of the accolades and praise. He could have walked around toting, I'm God, I'm God. And of course he claims so, but look at the posture of it. He humbly served. So I I think kind of what, what we see in this passage... Unity is is pursued when the people of God, by the grace of God, embrace a humility that enables us to consider others as more significant than ourselves. And of this kind of humility, C.S. Lewis once wrote very practically, listen to this quote. Do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, that he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He won't be a sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you, Well, I'm a nobody. Probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful and intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say. A really humble man, the quote continues, won't be thinking about humility because he really won't be thinking about himself at all. Doesn't that capture it? What a remarkably simple way for us today After our gathering concludes, and as we're walking out the door, or meeting someone for lunch, or whatever is happening this evening, or Lord willing, even when we gather in community groups this Wednesday, what a remarkably simple way to practice humility and to pursue unity by asking good questions of someone else, and then listening. I I don't know that it gets more easy than that. Or I should say, simple. I once had a boss who was incredibly skilled at asking me good questions. Chris, tell me, tell me why you think that way. Can we just pause for a second, Chris? Can you just pull back the, the top layer and let's get to the bottom of what you... What, what's at the bottom of X, Y, or Z? He's really good at asking good questions, and with the asking of good questions, uh, there is a spirit of unity that's established, especially in moments when we're all going to disagree about something. I mean, you've probably already disagreed with me on something that I've said, right? So like... There's something particularly powerfully unifying even in our disagreements when we sit down with a cup of coffee and simply say, brother, look, I don't know that I'm on board with that, but tell me about that because I love you. And I, I respect you, so I want to hear. Well, why do you think that way? Is there not a spirit of unity that is built in that? Now, we can't stop with just asking the question, We need to attentively listen, right? The same boss who I just shared about, who was good at asking me questions, guess what he would do the moment he stopped talking? And he would be texting while I'm talking, intermittent with, yeah, uh uh-huh, yeah, yeah, okay, that's a good thought. Nothing says... I'm not that interested in what you have to say, like breaking eye contact and mentally multitasking while someone else spills their guts. Get off your phone and tell me to do the same thing. And I heard an amen out there, and I'm so excited. Get off the phone and interact with a real person face to face. And you tell me the same thing. You have permission in Jesus' name. This is why Paul urges in verse 3, it requires humility. Put on humility. Put yourselves aside and your phone long enough to regard the person you're sitting with right here and now as more important. Oh, to truly get to that place. And then in verse 4, let each of you look not only to his own interests, And that's less of a hobby and more of let's look not just to our own good and our own well-being, right? Not just interest, not just like I I enjoy skateboarding, right? So put my interest, but no, no. Let each of you look not only to his own interest and well-being, but also to the interest and well-being of others. Do you know, have you ever heard the term consumer-driven church You ever heard that term? Unfortunately. In a a consumer-driven church, I think that whole masses of people are being groomed in a direction that makes verses 3 and 4 impossible to obey. Look, I'll attend the church service, right? I'm a consumer-driven person. I'll attend the church service when I feel like it. But as long as I can choose which gathering I go to because I want to like the music that I, I, the the music needs to be steered toward me, I want to say hello to the people that I want to say hello to. As long as the church has programs that are fitting for me and the relevant teaching is aimed at me and the hot coffee is made for me and there's a close enough parking spot for me, well then, yeah, I'll be a part of it. Oh my goodness, shoot me. I mean, don't really. Did I hear an amen? <laughs> I mean, okay. Isn't it a travesty what is masquerading through America as the bride of Christ and couldn't even be further from the spirit of Christ? It's me. Why do I go to It's because of me. Why am I part of that? Me. Me it's about me back to the garden of eden we go in the body of christ sweet mercy when covid first started steamrolling through america i was man talk about decision fatigue i'm just tired of making decisions man and there was someone in my CG. This is a good story. I'm not about to wag a finger. This is a good story. Man, do we, do we meet together? Uh, what, what do we do? Do we get together as a CG? What do, we, what do we do? No, Chris, 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 Chris. Look, we need to get together as often as we possibly can because it's not just what we feel like doing. It's the fact that those brothers and sisters in your group, they need Contact. They need encouragement. They need prayed for. They need hugged without fear. They need embraced. Because this is a very isolated season and very scary moment. Keep going and be with them. That person's advice was the absolute opposite of consumer-driven ministry. What do I want to do? I I want to bury myself in the yard. But oh putting the interests and the well-being of others before me from a spiritual standpoint, I was so happy to have listened. There are brothers and sisters in my group who desperately need it, myself included. I need to see you. I need to hear from you. I need to pray with you. I need to just simply be bolstered by your presence. How unity is pursued is by putting ourselves aside Regarding others is more important and serving the interest of others more than we serve our own. Now, what does that kind of unity produce? Point number three. Verse two, the very beginning. What does Paul say? Look, it's hidden. It's hidden. It's like a where's Waldo. What does unity? Complete my joy. Fulfill my joy, church. Bring me to the place of overflowing, bubbling over, can't contain it, joy, by being of the same mind and having the same love and being in full accord and of one mind. Now let me ask you, if Paul, who's locked up 4,600 miles away, awaiting potential execution, if Paul would end up receiving a level of joy, On account of the Philippians being unshakably unified in the gospel, don't you think that the Philippians themselves would receive a level of joy? It's not just Paul 4,600 miles away. Of course they would. It's a joyful, pleasant thing to experience the unification of a local assembly Of a local people. We're called the promise of this morning's call to worship. You know, we picked those verses on purpose. Psalm 133 Behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is a pleasing thing, it is a heart happy thing, it is a joyful thing when God's people humbly dwell together in unity despite the millions of molehill sized disagreements we have the bible consistently holds this profound truth that that joy that heart happiness actually results from the humble pursuit of walking arm in arm with our brothers and sisters and wouldn't you know, but a secular world study is actually observing the same thing. I read a study this week published in association with the National Library of Medicine and the National Institutes of Health. The study's objective was to test the central assumptions between self-centered happiness and real, or not real, selfless less happiness. In other words, prideful happiness or humble happiness. Now, according to the study, factor analyses revealed that self-centeredness, which was assessed through egocentrism and materialism, and selflessness, which was assessed through self-transcendence and connectedness to others, were two distinct psychological constructs. Now, here, this part of it. That's all psychological babble. While self-centeredness was positively and significantly related to fluctuating happiness. When I'm eyes on myself, guess what? The highs are high, the lows are low. And it's constant. It's a roller coaster of fluctuating happiness. Selflessness was positively and significantly related to authentic, durable happiness. Secular world studies are showing us that selflessness produces prolonged, pleasant heart happiness. Glory to God. His truth is true. The same selfless humility that produces unity also produces authentic, durable, real, lasting joy. So Paul's not joking around or dangling a carrot out in front of him in verse 2 by saying, well, complete my joy. Go for it. No, no, no. I mean, like, like really joy is going to come to him when he hears that the church is being unified. And his request, complete my joy, It isn't rooted in the same sort of wishful thinking we heard in that Otto Frank quote at the beginning. Otto Frank believed that Anne Frank and her siblings, it was, you know, the final forming character of their lives was completely up to them. They had to conjure up the ability to to make life's direction in a good direction. But look at verse 5 with me. We're going to peek At what we're going to cover next Sunday, Paul invites us, have this mind among yourselves, which already belongs to you in Christ. So do you hear that good news? If you belong to Christ through repentant faith, then everything we've been talking about this morning, by God's grace, is already yours. The selfless humility that leads to unity, yours. The humble unity that leads to real joy, yours. It is yours in Christ because he, the same Savior, who by his sacrificial life, death, and resurrection paid for your self-centered sin, he also now empowers us toward others-centered living and joy. The complete package is availed to us in christ he is why unity is possible he is how unity is pursued he is what unity produced the joy of the lord our strength the joy of christian unity is what paul is really driving at and next week we get the privilege of diving into how we see this made possible in the life, the selfless, humble life of Christ. Until then, by God's grace, by His Holy Spirit, you and I in Christ, let us put on this prayer. Oh, Lord, the conversation I'm about to enter into after this service, I'm going to be prone to making it about me. I'm going to be prone to thinking all about me. Oh, Lord, rescue me. And give me the ability to humbly count others as more significant than myself. Let that, can that be our prayer? This church will be unified out the wazoo if we made that our daily prayer. And I want to be a part of that. Would you join me in a prayer? And then we will sing together one last time. Father, I thank you for your word And because there is encouragement for us in Christ, because there is comfort from love, because there is participation, we're all indwelled. Because of Christ, we are indwelled by the same Holy Spirit. And because we share then affection and sympathy, oh God, would you add to us now the joy of walking in that kind of unity that sees the Mount Everest of commonality we share in Christ And we don't get tripped up on the molehills of disagreement. The millions of molehills that are likely going to arise. Help us, Lord, to count one another as more significant than ourselves. Help us to look out not just for our own well-being, but the well-being of those who are around us, God. Spare us from being a consumer-driven church and make us to be... A church of Jesus to get down on our knees and wash each other's feet for your glory and our joy. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.